Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Hi, everybody. You're about to hear the live recording that we did for a send-off for Casper, We did it by doing an episode about book one, chapter one, through the theme of transitions. And this event was in partnership with Sixth and I in Washington, D.C., a center for arts, entertainment, and ideas, and a synagogue that reimagines how religion and community can enhance people's everyday lives. This is not your typical episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text because we had our wonderful new co-host, Matt, come and tell a story. There were lots of goodbyes and I love yous and it was emotional and technically a little challenging here and there. But more than 1,500 of you showed up, which just meant the world to me. And I From 42 states. And 22 countries. I didn't know there were that many states or countries. <laughs> At least not the people who were so sweet and wonderful. People stayed up till one in the morning. Their time in order to tune in. I mean, like, it was amazing. Thank you so much for everything over these last five years. It has been a truly magical experience. And I'm going to be back so soon as a guest on the show. So get ready. (laughs) 
<laughs> we won't let you miss him for long. And Casper, yeah. I love you. I love you too. Enjoy the show. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Chapter one, the boy who lived. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Terkyle. And this is Casper's last episode as co-host on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everyone. We're so, so glad that you're with us. Thank you for being here. Thanks for staying with us for a little extra time. We just wanted you all to get to know each other. And I was desperately trying to avoid saying goodbye. (laughs) It's so manipulative. I know, We called Zoom and we're like, crash. (laughs) Shut it down, shut it down. Now we are here in Boston and I wanna acknowledge that we're on native Chappaquiddick, Wampanoag and Nipmuc land. And that the folks at Sixth and I are in Washington DC on Piscataway land. And we honor the native people who have been the traditional custodians of this land and continue to be our hosts. So yes, we're talking about transitions and Vanessa, I believe it's your turn (laughs) to tell a story. It's always my turn at live shows to tell a story (laughs) because I take direction from Ariana better than Casper does. So I bake cakes once every five years. What are you going to do? Yeah. You give and I give. (laughs) So I am going to tell you a story about 16, 15, 16-year-old 16 Vanessa. She was like pretty different than current me, I think. She she was quiet. What? I know. Um, especially at school. I was such a good kid that I had pink hair, which we were not allowed to have. Um, you had to have natural colored hair. But there was only one like teacher at school, Miss Huckel, who cared if you didn't have naturally colored hair. So like all you had to do was avoid her. <laughs> and I would. And then every once in a while, she'd catch me and be like, Zoltan, pink hair, detention. And I just wouldn't go. And no other teacher would enforce it because I was like such a like quiet, sweet kid. Beginning of 11th grade, it's like the third day of school. We're in a homeroom. I'm sitting. I'm not talking to anyone. Maybe I'm talking to my friend Katie who's sitting in front of me. And class is like getting settled and there's a knock on the door and this guy comes in and his name wasn't Troy, but his name was Troy, you know, like he's a Frosted Troy. Tips. Yes, yeah. Frosty Tips. And he, my teacher was Mr. Kransky and Troy walks in and he goes, Mr. Kransky, it's so good to see you. I've missed you. Troy had graduated the previous spring. I had seen Mr. Kransky for like one more day sooner than Troy. (laughs) And I sat there and I said very quietly to Katie, give us a chance to miss you first, dude. (laughs) <laughs> Except that it was one of those moments in the in oh, a no. room where just like the like the music that wasn't even on turned off like it just became silent. And like I didn't know that like Valley Girl me was capable of even hurting the feelings of a guy from Malibu, but it turns out that I was because <laughs> Troy went like ashen faced and I was like was mean, but it was true. (laughs) Like you haven't even started college yet. You can't come back. Like you just had graduation. You just had the big transition, go transition, like go transit. (laughs) Right. And I was just thinking about that because we're throwing this right. Like, and we've had sort of like a lot of goodbyes and I'm feeling like, but don't transit, right? Like it doesn't 
feel over in those big ways. And so it turns out I was wrong about Troy. Transitions, you can like have rituals around transitions and that doesn't mean that they feel complete, Mm. right? Sometimes, I know for me, I felt graduated from high school months, if not years before I graduated from high school. (laughs) And like Troy didn't feel that way even after he graduated from high school. And so, and I, you know, we see that in this chapter, right? Where it it seems to me that there's a lot of denial about the fact that like Lily and James just died, right? Like that is something that is going to hit McGonagall and Hagrid and Dumbledore over and over again, right? These transitions, we feel like they're supposed to be quick and they're not. Mm. So don't ever leave me. Mm. Yeah. So often we want to make something like a complete thing and then there's right. wrapping a bow on it with like a fun live show <laughs> right and actually it, it it will linger or it already feels like it's done like it's not it doesn't happen in a single moment that's right. what I'm really hearing from your story it's a process and wherever you tie the bow it's going to be part of it but not the whole transition right yeah I Troy probably goes back every year <laughs> Mr. Koretsky is so happy to see him. <laughs> he's like Troy again great <laughs> Well, let's remind everyone what happens in this chapter because it's really an underread chapter. People don't often understand what's happening yeah, at the, this point in the book. On the deeper level. <laughs> um, so we're going to continue our tradition of 30-second recaps. And Vanessa, 30 seconds on the clock, Vanessa, remind us what happens in chapter one of book one. Three, two, one. Go. Hermione is not in this chapter. So Mr. and Mrs. Dursley have like a fussy kid. Mr. Dursley is going to work. He works in drills. He um is like, oh my gosh, all this weird stuff is happening. And uh, do I hear the name Harry Potter? And then McGonagall and Dumbledore have a little meeting and Hagrid comes with a baby and Dumbledore's like, I'm just gonna leave a note. And McGonagall's like, that makes sense. Leave a baby and a note. Everything will probably be fine. People are celebrating because Voldemort is dead and everybody is cheersing in the middle of the night to the boy who lived. Wow. There's no Hermione. Wow. That was very strong. Thank you. Are you ready to do your very last 30-second recap as a co-host of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text? I know. I keep saying as a co-host because he's going to come back as a guest. (laughs) And this is my way of making it true. Just like there's no Hermione, I'm very sad there's no Polyakov. (laughs) But there is someone else. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Yes. On your mark. Get set, go. Hello, I'm Valerie Marchbanks, and I'm the new CEO of Grunnings Limited, and I can't wait to drill into this new job. I've been reviewing the personnel files, and I've come up to a name here. Yes, Vernon Dursley. He seems to not be a very imaginative employee, and he has really got some behavioral issues. I'm on the 10th floor, just the book above him, and I can hear the shouting. His secretary has reported him multiple times, so I've put night goggle cameras on his house, and I can't tell you happening. So we are now going to have you vote as to who did a better job at this 30 second recap. Ariana, remind me of the options. They are Vanessa yes. should give it to Casper because it's his last show or, or no Casper actually won or it's not about winning or losing. It's about the friends you made along the way. <laughs> I hope that you guys are voting for Casper because that was a really good bit. Uh, Vanessa absolutely deserved that one, but I still want you to vote for me because I can't bake another cake with this heart condition. <laughs> He doesn't have a heart condition. He just gets very nervous baking. So nervous. It was, very, it was very emotional. Okay, Ariana, how's the voting going? I have a crown. Vanessa, would you give it to Cass? 
Repeat it for the Oh, sorry. It was Vanessa one, but we should give it to Casper. I really thought you would. It was the right option. I appreciate you, everyone. Oh, wow. Let's have a theme conversation. Let's do it. So we're talking about book one, chapter one, through this theme of transitions. Yeah, the thing that really struck me this time more than anything is that what we're seeing is a whole society emerge from lockdown. Yeah. We have endured just over a year at this point of, of really being locked down. And here we see people after 11 years yeah. of living in fear, maybe literally hiding. Yeah. And, and they are out at 8.30 in the morning as Vernon is driving on the edge of town. He's seen groups of people gathered in late October, early November. So it's cold. They are gathered together and literally like rejoicing. I mean, one of them says, rejoice for you know who has gone at last. Like, look at me in July, please. Goodness. You know, like if all goes well and everyone is vaccinated, yeah. I'll be like COVID. It's gone at last. <laughs> rejoice. rejoice. <laughs> so I, I just saw that parallel so strongly and understanding this not necessarily carefree attitude because you still see people negotiating what yeah. is appropriate. There's rumors flying around, like what happened to the Potters? How did Voldemort disappear? And they're whispering. So there's still this sense of like, can we really, is it okay? Like there's this sense of freedom and then this sense of like, but is it really safe? So that was my big theme of seeing people transition. Yeah, from this time of lockdown into this time of freedom. I mean, even at the very end, right? They're, they're cheersing quietly, right? Yeah. It's this like- Right, lifting a glass. glass. Yeah, Ugh. I feel like every text I get from a friend or loved one saying I got my vaccine, yes. right? It's like one more. There's just like this momentum to it. I literally check the New York Times numbers every morning and I'm like, okay, great. That means predicted date for, you know, 90% is. Yeah. yeah. I was struck by the fact that by the time Petunia finds Harry, mm. the following morning after Harry gets dropped off, her sister's been dead for 36 hours. Mm. And I was just thinking about the times where your life has changed, but you don't know that it's changed mm. yet. And it can be for any number of reasons, right? I found out that I got rejected from grad school by like calling and being like, I still haven't gotten my email. And they were like, yes, it's in spam. Like I found it in spam. And it turns out that for like a week, I had been rejected from this school and I didn't know that I had been rejected, right? It's like our lives, some mm. version of reality can be on a path without our knowing it. Mm. And it just made me wonder if, if that matters. Because for Petunia, the moment that she finds out her sister is dead mm. is that morning. And I, I just wonder if it adds to her hurt that she didn't know when it happened, right? I sometimes find myself getting jealous. Like if a friend is engaged, but got engaged like two months ago. And I'm like, why wasn't I on the list of people you called? And then of course I like, no, that's ridiculous. But I can imagine Petunia feeling like yeah. my sister died and like yeah. no one thought to tell me. Yeah. And so I was just thinking about that, that you, you can transition from having a sister to not and like not even know. Yeah. And I mean, on a humorous note, I saw that everyone is using owls to let each other know, or like that yeah. commuting by owls. I was like, why aren't people disapparating? Like surely that would be easier. But I'm like, well, I guess if everyone was disapparating, no one would be home to disapparate to. So the owls are like the, the, the length of flight to get from one place to another is another example mm -hmm. of that kind of like transition time that some yeah. people hear it sooner than others. And yeah, there's also all of these like micro transitions on an individual level yeah. as this big transition is happening. 
happening. Yeah. Like we see McGonagall use for the first time, at least in a long time, she says the word Voldemort. And it's this big moment where it feels like she's reclaiming some of her power or some of her confidence in some way, having, you know, been afraid of that word. And so I guess it's also a way of thinking like that big shift is actually made up of all these tiny little shifts that's happening with each of us, right? Each person getting a vaccine contributes to greater safety for everyone. The other person I also want to talk about is McGonagall because it feels like she does have this moment. I know I joked about it in my 30 second recap, but she has this moment with Dumbledore where she says, like, you can't explain all of this in a note. Right. And I always read it as like, you can't explain all this in a note. And now I'm like, no, she's like, you idiot. You can't explain all this in a note. Right. And it feels like she wants a bigger deal. She's like, we need a ritual. We need to sit down and have a cup of tea and talk about this and talk about what this means and have like a formal adoption ceremony. Well, and she doesn't even want them to be the transition. <laughs> right, right. She's like, they're the wrong people, but fine if we have to do these people. But like, we got to do, yeah. we got to create a ritual because rituals are very powerful. Power Ritual by Casper Trakaila out now. <laughs> But really, like yeah. she, I, it does fit. She's like, we need to make a bigger deal out of yeah. this than a note. And Dumbledore is like, no, this is how I communicate that it annoyed me that you left the toilet seat up. And this is how I also tell people that they now have to take care of their dead sister's baby. Same method. To me, it indicates he's not been in a long-term relationship <laughs> for a long time because the communication skills are not so strong. Yeah. Yeah. But I just love that McGonagall is like, no, this is a huge transition. We have to do something. Yeah, we have to honor it. And I think that's what she's trying to point to. It's like transitions don't just, I mean, they can just happen, but then we get left behind. Mm -hmm. Like we need to mark the moment in some way, even if it's an incomplete ribbon, Mm -hmm. right? In some way, mark that moment to to step into it as best we can. Yeah. It feels like Hagrid is holding so much of that space. Mm -hmm. He's like the only one weeping for James and I mean, McGonagall like wipes a tear, but yeah. And he's so sad dropping off Harry. And yeah. it even feels like this like motorcycle is some sort of like ritualistic thing where he's received it. And now he's going to return it. Oh my gosh. I'm just seeing, we always talk about Hagrid as this maternal figure, right? Like this loving, caring, constant presence for Harry. And I'm suddenly realizing he arrives on Sirius's motorbike, who is kind of like this stand-in father figure oh, yeah. as godfather. So there's this like echo of a particular type of parentage, at yeah. least in that moment as they arrive, like this kind of family unit. Yeah. I had not seen that before. Well, and this is like not an attempt to sell merch, but we made Hagrid our patron saint yes. of transitions. And we did that, right? Like he's the one who brings Harry into the wizarding world, right? He like goes on a boat out to an island to get him, right? Like he will do anything to bring yeah. Harry into the wizarding world. We see him here bringing Harry out of the wizarding world. He brings mm. every child for the into first Hogwarts. time into Hogwarts. He's this like great accompanier mm. on transitions. Mm. And I feel like that is because he's somebody who's like willing to cry and willing to be sad with people mm-hmm. and willing to celebrate, right? He shows up with a cake. He's like so good at transitions. Yeah. He's like, this is a big deal. You're a wizard. It's your birthday. We need a cake. <laughs> Right? I, I could learn from him. <laughs> no. <I'm, laughs> Whereas Dumbledore would be like, hey, kid, come with me. <laughs> Please sign this document. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta go. You're my tool to destroy evil. <laughs> to be clear, I want to say that, like, I am more Dumbledore than Hagrid. Like, mm. I've been, people have been messaging me very sweetly. That's why we're so harsh on him. Yeah. Because I think we see us, honestly, I think yeah. that's because we're like, oh, I don't like that in me. Right. And I'm the same, right? Like, it's so easy to think of people as useful to you in some way, rather than the way that Hagrid sees them, right? He looks at each individual creature in his care and falls in love with them. Right. And all I see is like, this is a fire hazard. Get it out of the school. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I just, oh. yeah, as people have been like messaging me and asking me, they're like, are you going to miss Casper? And I'm like, we are literally still recording from nine to 11 on Friday mornings. <laughs> no, I'm not going to miss him. And like, that's not fair. Right. And I think that that's me like not dealing with my own transitions. Right. Mm. I don't think that people are wrong. Mm. I think that I'm like, no, everything's fine. Just leave a note. Just leave a note. Everything will be fine. <laughs> well, let's see if there's more that we can find in this chapter because it's time for our first sacred practice. The Casper. I need your help picking a sentence because we are going to do Lectio Divina. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> so Lectio Divina taught to us by Stephanie Paulsell, who is here tonight. Hi, Stephanie and Amanda. Stephanie taught us how to do Lectio. It's what we did in our very first episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And it is a four-step sacred reading practice. It dates back to the Middle Ages. It's a monastic practice. And the way that Stephanie has been explaining it lately, she like always has new insights in how she explains it, that it's like lowering a ladder into the text. Mm. And in each of these four stages, which I'll walk you through, we're going to get deeper and deeper into the text. Mm. So Casper, I need you to pick a number between one and 17. Um, I'd like 15, please. 15. Interesting. Okay, we have... About 10 paragraphs on this page. Please pick a number between one and 10. I'm going to go for number one. Number, oh, okay. No problems were there. Whoa. That's it. Yeah. No problems were there. So do you want me to do step one since I have the book? I can have a guess. Okay. So step one of Lectio Divina, we talk about what is literally happening in the chapter. And this is no problems, were there? I think this is McGonagall. Maybe it's Dumbledore asking Hagrid if there was any challenge in bringing Harry safely to number four, Privet Drive. It's Dumbledore, but yes. Borrowed at Professor Dumbledore, young Sirius Black. No problems, were there? So step two of Lectio Divina is allegory. And we ask ourselves what other stories this sentence reminds us of what other songs, myths, Shakespeare plays, you know, um, does this remind us of? No problems, were there? There's just like a laid back vibe that I'm getting. It's just like a little slow, you know, slow beat. What else am I thinking? I'm thinking about like stressed kitchens when Uh like there's an order that's gone wrong and like I don't know. I just remember working in a kitchen and and like things happening so, so quickly. And so when something went wrong, you know, someone would be like, is there a problem? And you're like, um, no. No. Right. (laughs) I didn't drop a carton of eggs. Yeah, exactly. Everything's fine. Look over there. No problems were there. Is that the phrase? Yes. Can I tell you what I'm thinking of? So I'm thinking of, first of all, I'm thinking of Shakespeare plays where like everybody is confusing who everybody is or like an Oscar Wilde play importance of being earnest. Right. Where like you think you're talking to one person, but you're actually talking to another. And those plays always really stress me out because I just want to jump on stage and be like, get it. You're actually named Ernest. And the rest (laughs) of you are talking about sincerity. Everyone get it. (laughs) And just how like, I want to just solve it, but it's like, there are no real problems and yet there's so many miscommunications. Mm. So that's a literal, like no problems. Yeah. But I'm also thinking about there was a great movie in the 80s called License to Drive. I've never heard of it. It's not good. Oh. <laughs> it's amazing though. And anyway, I don't even remember much of the plot. Like basically he's out all night in a, someone's car and it's not his car. And it's like a, it's a disaster of a night. And in the morning he arrives with the car and it's basically like someone's like, everything go okay? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Mm. Even though, like the whole movie has been about nothing but problems. Mm. 
So I feel like we often say no problem when there are actually a ton of problems. Yeah. I'm suddenly also thinking about all of the times those words might've been said as people who've been looking out for Harry at different points through the books are reporting back to base. Mm-hmm. You know, Mrs. Think, Fig. Exactly. I'm thinking about Mrs. Fig reporting back, you know, at the end of every <gasps> she day. She probably is moving in on private drive this night. That's exactly. This very night. Right. That's why he did the put outer because like someone is moving in under cover of darkness. Oh my God, I love it. I mean- I, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, he actually built a whole house, magicked in a whole new number seven. No yeah. one ever noticed. Um, but also just like thinking about the Order of the Phoenix and the way in which, you know, we hear about Mondungus and the frustration of everyone that has with him, but everyone else is clearly reporting for duty and, and being very clear about whether any issues tonight. No, there was no problem. So just, right. just the way that Harry is always surrounded by this question and that response of sometimes there's a problem, sometimes there isn't. Yeah. Well, the next step is what it reminds you of in your own life. And please feel free to put yours in Mm. the chat. I'll read the sentence again. No problems were there. Casper, take a moment. But what does this Mm. remind you of in your own life? I'm not a parent, but this feels like the kind of question I was asked when I was a babysitter and the parents of the kids that I babysat would come home. And usually the answer was no problem. But one night... Stephen, who was seven, had an anaphylactic shock. And all I knew was that I had to take this thing and yank it in his thigh and push it down. Like I was 14 or 15. And like, that was the most terrifying moment. So when they came home and said, no, any problems were there? Yes, I I had to use an EpiPen and stab your child. And then they were like, here's 30 bucks. I was like... (laughs) There isn't enough money in the world. (laughs) Never want to do that again. So yeah, I guess sometimes the question is asked of you when you're not really resourced to be able to solve it if there was a problem. Right. Um, So just the the challenging situation. Yeah, that's one that I'm immediately taking back to. I loved little Stephen. He and his sister were so fun. Well, he's alive because of you. (laughs) We should be in touch. Yes. Stephen, if you're writing, if you're here tonight... Send him an extra 10 quid. 30? I don't need the money. Just tell me you're okay. Yeah. Um, how about you, love? What does it remind you of? Oh, in your God. Life? Nothing is occurring to me. Can I, I read it for you? Yes. No problems, were there? I mean, I'm just thinking, like, I, when I moved, the day I moved into this to this very house, I lived in the dorms, and my door, as Ariana and Casper, I'm sure remember, the fire alarm would go off every, every time. time you, like, touched the door wrong. And so like every time I hired movers and they were wonderful, except they kept hitting this alarm. And then I would get a call being like, the the alarm's going off. I was like, I know. And just like how overwhelming that moment Mm -hmm. was again, like there was no problem, right? Like Mm -hmm. it it was a privilege to live where I had lived. It was exciting to be moving where I was moving. Mm -hmm. I was lucky to be able to afford movers for the first time in my life. Like there were no problems, but it was just like this hellscape of problems. And so that's, it just feels like there are two different kinds of problems. There's like the chaos annoying ones. And then as soon as you have a real problem, you're you're like, like, that was cute. That wasn't a problem. That was not a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's funny actually, because just to take it back to the text, of course, I mean, his parents just were killed, you know, like there were problems. Right. It's no problem. And then it says, he says the house was almost destroyed, but I got him out before the muggles started swarming. And I'm like, how long was this child left alone with dead bodies? I know no problem. Yeah. Just got murdered people. Yeah. It's a problem. And that's not how Hagrid is saying it, but it's like, I know that it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. 
So the last stage mm. is what does this remind you of? Nope, sorry. It's what do you feel called to do? Yeah. No problems, were there? Hmm. Part of me feels called to start being more honest. Like, yes, I have problems. It's raining and I'm moving. But I think I want to go the other way mm. of like, unless it's a real problem. Yeah. Be like, no, there are no problems. Ariana and I have been talking about this. And by that, I mean, I've been talking to Ariana about it. I've noticed... I'd like to blame COVID, but I am so irritable these days. Mm. Like small things, I'll be like, that was horrible. Mm. And I just want to like remember that like these things are not real problems. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, everyone. I'm getting a therapist. Everything will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've all needed extra help this year. My God. Um, what about you, love? What do you feel, charged? Will you read Call it two. once more? No problems were there. Suddenly noticing the question mark. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe because of this year, we have all experienced such difficulties. I'm kind of expecting that I understand people's context just because I've experienced COVID. And I heard it said best that we're not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm. And I think I want to lean into the questions of maybe not asking like, no problems were there, but like, how are you? Like, really, you know, cause yeah. we're, we are all having different experiences. And I just keep thinking about all my friends who have young kids and just the untold challenge or very told, but you know, not always public challenge that the folks are facing with extra caring responsibilities and everything else. So yeah. I think I want to lean into the, into asking that question really. Right. Yeah. Not with the assumption, no yeah. problems were there, right? but like, like, were there any problems? Are there, are there problems? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. Well, I love Lectio. <laughs> that was your last Lectio as a co-host. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. I I do, honestly, uh -huh. it is my favorite practice. <laughs> but we are now being joined by Matt Potts, <gasps> our fabulous friend and future co-host of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, Mister No, the Reverend Doctor Matthew Doctor. Potts. Hello, Matt. Hi. So Matt is going to be the person who is replacing Casper. Of course, Casper cannot be replaced, but I'm very excited to go on this journey with you, Matt. It will be a very different journey. It will be a much sadder journey because <laughs> Matt and I both like sad things. <laughs> but also a much wiser one because Matt is just an incredible teacher. I will say much more about that in just a moment um, because I'm going to hand over formally, Matt, to you in just a moment after your story. But let's uh, let's let's hear from you as you share a little insight into your own experience of transitions. So, twenty years ago, about twenty years ago, this spring, I gave my father a silver dollar, and it's a silver dollar he still has, and it's a silver dollar he carries around with him to this day. And to understand why I gave him a silver dollar, I need to back up a little bit. So, for as long as I can remember, growing up, I wanted basically two things out of my life. Uh, the first thing I wanted was to be in the navy. And I wanted to be in the Navy, partly because my dad was in the Navy, my grandfather was in the Navy, and my dad was in the Navy Reserves growing up. And I would see him coming home on reserve weekends in his uniform. And I was always really just proud of my dad um, for, for his service. And I wanted to be like him. And the other reason I wanted to be in the Navy is because, let's be honest, in fourth grade, I saw the movie Top Gun and I kind of had a crush on Tom Cruise, right? So I wanted to be, I wanted to be in the Navy. Uh, the other thing that was part of me as long as I can remember is, um, and I don't, I've been trying to think of a better way to phrase this is, but I, this is gonna sound kind of sappy and weird, 
Um, but I, I, I wanted to follow Jesus. I just felt like I wanted to live up to the teachings of, of Jesus, right? Um, I don't know why I had this, this sense of devotion or whatever it was, but those were the two things that were really important to me for as long as I can remember, being in the Navy and being in the church. And you have to understand, growing up in the place I grew up in, the world I grew up in, American military power sat really easily next to Christian life. And I didn't really analyze that in any serious way. So I went to college on a Navy ROTC scholarship. I went to a Catholic college and a Navy ROTC scholarship. And I graduated about 20 years ago this spring. And when I graduated, I was commissioned an officer in the United States Navy. Now, there's a tradition in the Navy that when you're an officer, the first person who salutes you, you give them a silver dollar. Now, the way it worked is that I, the day I was commissioned, the day I graduated, I immediately outranked my dad. My dad, who had spent 20 years in the Navy and retired, was an enlisted man. And so I outranked him the day I graduated. And so at my commissioning, they finished the oath or whatever, and he turned to me and he saluted me and I saluted him back and I took a silver dollar out of my pocket and I flipped it over to him. And as I said, he, he still carries that coin around with him. And then I went out to the fleet, I went out to a ship and, and things changed. This is a story about transition, right? Things changed for me in pretty dramatic ways. I went to a ship called USS Vincennes, which has since been decommissioned. Um, some of you, if you know your history very well, might know the USS Vincennes. In 1989, the USS Vincennes mistakenly shot down a civilian, Iranian civilian airliner and killed almost 300 innocent people. I was not on the ship at that time, but this is the ship that I arrived on to serve. And that was jarring to me. The other thing that happened, uh, maybe appropriately for this podcast, during the time that I first arrived on the ship, I was reading a lot. I was very lonely and it was hard life at sea. And I was just reading a lot of fiction and memoir. And that thing that in earlier in my life had those two things that sat so easily together, the idea of American military might and divine sanction, those things started to come into conflict in my heart and in my mind. And within about six months less, a few months of being on the ship, I realized that, that I changed, that I, that I could not in good conscience serve. In the Navy, I, I felt like my own Christian commitments trumped that. And I think to the people around me, this looked like a big change. I was like, in high school and stuff, I was like super gung-ho. I used to watch Vietnam War movies. I used to like, and take exactly the wrong like lesson from those Vietnam War movies. Like I was like super gung-ho. I, all I wanted to do was serve. And I got to the fleet and everything changed. And I decided to try to get out of the Navy as a conscientious objector. And um, it was a very long process. There were hearings and my peers on the ship were not super happy with me. And then my captain on the ship was very unhappy with me. And in fact, part of my application process to the Navy for conscientious objector status is I had to prove to them that I had changed that I took my oath in good faith. And then after I took my oath, that something in me changed. And I had to tell them what changed and how it changed in the exact moment, in fact, that the change happened. And it was a really stressful time, but I have to tell you, like I, I cared about the opinions of my peers and the captain on the ship a lot less than I cared about the opinion of my dad. And I eventually did get out of the Navy and uh, the Navy sent me home and they sent me a bill for my college education. And I went home to, to Michigan and I was talking to my mom and I said to my mom, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm out, but I'm really sad that I let my, I let dad down. Uh, and my mom said, don't move. And she ran, my dad was working in the office downstairs and she ran and got my dad and she called my dad upstairs and she said to me, now you tell him what you just told me. <laughs> and I said, I said, I'm sorry, I let you down, dad. And he said, Matthew, you didn't let me down. He said, I'm proud of you. He said, I don't agree with what you did, but... What I most worry about is that you would stay in for my sake and then 20 years from now, you might wake up 
and not like yourself very much. He said, I'm proud you did what you thought was right. And I'm proud you're my son. You know, I'm getting a little misty. I, I, I meant a lot to me. And it occurs to me, you know, when they, when Vanessa and Casper asked me to tell the story that it is 20 years from then now. I think that the thing about transitions with the story is that, you know, when I was going through that, it felt like a big change. And everyone around me told me it was a big change. But inside myself, it didn't feel like I was becoming someone else. It felt like I was becoming who I was meant to be. It didn't feel like I was actually transforming into something different. It felt like I was transforming into myself, right? And why I'm so grateful for my father is that he knew that as soon as I got home, he knew that already before even I did, which is why he wasn't sad or sorry that I made the decision that I made, why he was the opposite, why he was proud, and why he still carries that silver dollar around with him uh, every day. So that's my, that's my transition story. It's a really beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Matt, I love the way that you said that, that sense that it didn't feel like you were changing, but it felt like everyone else saw you and saw change. But what you felt, what you saw in yourself was really a becoming, like a becoming more of who you were and who, and who you could become, um, or yeah, more of who you felt called cool to be. And I, that's such a beautiful way to think about yeah, how, how we can think differently about transitions. Yes, it might be a goodbye to a previous life or a previous way of being, but actually it's about a yes to something more. Obviously not every transition, but but the ones where we have a sense of like, oh, I'm going that direction, that it's not just from one state to another, but it's actually from less to more. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I mean, I think another a way that I might describe it was like, you know, I was always the person searching to try to figure out what I was supposed to be doing. And that did, that didn't change about me, right? That, hmm. that somehow became truer about myself as I made my way through this journey. And I had, as I had to make some difficult decisions and I, and as I had to frankly walk back on some commitments and potentially disappoint some people and, and also like negotiate, like, you know, I'm, I'm still proud of my dad who served for many years. And the, the guys I served with in the Navy are some of the best people I've ever known. Right. And the, I had, I had to come to a more complicated relationship with my feelings about myself and about all these questions and, and I think that the kind of through line through all this was, I mean, outwardly, you know, my title or my role, those things changed. Am I a naval officer? Am I a conscious objector? But internally, it felt at every step like I'm trying to be a guy doing the right thing. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do. And, and because that didn't change, it didn't, I mean, of course, there was all kinds of transition and my life was turned upside down in many ways. But it felt like a straight path. It didn't feel like I was wandering and lost or something, even though it was, you know, very difficult and trying at times. The other thing that your story is making me think of in light of, and I think we can transition to, I didn't mean to do that, to a conversation between passing the baton between the two of you, but is that in transitioning, you often leave people behind, right? Sometimes it's really hard, right? It's, I have to go. I do not belong on this ship but mm -hmm. I don't like the part of me that's leaving you behind. I don't like the part of this dynamic or this situation that's leaving you behind. Yeah, we're, this is like a real it's passing a of the batons moment. It is a moment. And, um, you know, Matt, I, I want everyone to know, first of all, that you were exactly the first person that both Vanessa and I and Ariana thought of. It was of. Ariana's idea. It was Ariana's idea. But when I thought about it for myself, I was like, Matt, and so you're the only one, and well, I don't want to say the only 
the only one makes you sound like not the first choice. But like, I'm so glad it's you is what I'm trying to say. Um, because for so many reasons, which I will say in a moment, but like, I, I want you to know, and I want everyone to know that it's you that we want. And I'm so glad that it's you that we have stepping into the co-host role. I feel like you're proposing. I Well, I wrote down things, so I'm going to be very serious because Matt, you helped like shape this me. podcast from the very beginning in many, many conversations. And so this is not you stepping into a new landscape or a new team. It's you becoming more of this team that you've already been part of and of, of this community. You've been a guest on the show many times and you've been a, a dear friend and spoken at live shows. Spoken at live shows, and you've been a dear friend and advisor for us. I mean, even before Harry Potter and the Sacred Text came along, Matt was my kind of project advisor as a faculty member of the of the Divinity School in in a little podcast project I did way before even Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So you have been intertwined with our creativity from the beginning. Can I just add one thing? Yeah. The podcast was Matt's idea. From literally from the beginning, when we when we were running when we were running the local group, Matt was like, "This would probably work well as a podcast." I'm also really excited for everyone who listens to the show. To I mean, as as you said, you're a veteran, like you're a minister in the Episcopal Church. You you have a great knowledge of Buddhism. You have Japanese ancestry. You're a Ravenclaw. Like you are bringing so many new so much diversity. So much diversity. No, but like no, but. You are the worst. <laughs> no, but like so many new stories and so many new perspectives and reference points and, and places of inspiration and insight that is important to keep the text alive, but also keep, to keep our community alive, to hear new things. And the way that you're going to read the books together is differently from the way that we've read it together. And that's that's what will keep the text sacred for me. And the, I'm going to be listening every week. Don't you, don't you worry about it. Because you're a Ravenclaw, Matt, I'm going to ask Vanessa to pass this on to you, but I have just a little copy of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in a Ravenclaw edition nice. for you that you can annotate and read carefully and write lots of notes in. Um, and so let this be the metaphorical baton that I hand over to you through the power of Zoom through Vanessa <laughs> for you for you to receive. And, and just know that I wish for you the same joy that I've experienced in being a co-host of this show, of deepening your friendship with Vanessa, of discovering more about yourself and the world through these books, and, and that you will experience the same warmth and love and generosity from our community as I've experienced. So I, I'm so glad it's you. Thank you for saying yes. And I am so happy and grateful and sending you all my love. <laughs> That really did end like a proposal. <laughs> Do you say yes? <laughs> yes. Yes. I will. Yes. The thing that I hope to carry on from you that isn't like my instinct, you know, Vanessa joked about it before, like, I, I like to turn to the sad and the dark because I take for granted that good things are holy. I want to say, see, where is the holy in the difficult thing, right? But what that also means is I take for granted that good things are holy. Sometimes I don't pay enough attention to the joy and to the magic and to the loveliness. And, and, and what you do so well is always call our attention back to goodness and to beauty and to magic and to enchantment. Like an instinct or intuition, you just see it in the world around you. You have a vision of the world. That's what I hope to carry forward from your work with the podcast and my work with the podcast to come. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Matt. We'll talk to you, to you. tomorrow. Yep. Good luck, Bye. my friend. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. It is now time for blessings. We're now going to ask Ariana to come back on stage and offer a blessing. But before we do, I just want to speak on behalf of both of us. And I know you'll share more, but that we want to offer a blessing for Ariana. She, When she met us, I don't think she knew what she was getting herself into. Streaming to 1,500 people from a living room is like not something they teach you in divinity school. Like this is not something she trained for. And she just always throws herself into everything so completely and so fully. So she's going to come on and share a blessing. Yes. Something you might know about me is that I love to bless the minor characters. And my favorite minor character in this chapter is Jim McGuffin, the weatherman. The weatherman. (laughs) So Vernon Dursley, he's watching the news. They're talking about the owls and they go over to Jim and he says, basically, I've got so many calls from all over the country, he t- who people telling me that they haven't gotten the rain I promised yesterday. Anyway, I can promise you that there's rain tomorrow. <laughs> and I am just so charmed. And I think this is like, you know, universal weatherman characteristic, like, you are going to make bad predictions in the world <laughs> and take faulty steps. 
and a lot of people are going to complain and you are going to make more predictions tomorrow. I'm someone who struggles with confidence sometimes. I think doing this show with you all has given mm. me a lot of confidence, mm. um, but I, I want to bless Jim for his confidence and bless myself to have the confidence of a mm. weatherman. Mm. Yeah, I love that because it's just like, now he's going to predict the next day, there'll be more owl flight and cascades of fireworks <laughs> based on just the last 24 hours. Well, it's just funny that he like just got it wrong and he's like, but I promise tonight. It's like, you promised yesterday, dude. Stop promising. <laughs> That's what percentages are for. <laughs> 92%. <laughs> We talked a little bit about Hagrid, but I want to offer my blessing to him mm -hmm. because there's this very sweet moment where we get to imagine this moment where he's picking up little baby Harry. Yeah. And the text tells us there's probably this whiskery, scratchy kiss that he would have offered this little child yeah. and that he's crying. And I just, you know, I love that we've chosen him as our patron saint of transitions. And I also feel like he would be a great patron saint of like showing our emotions. And yeah. he's just, I don't know. I think he's a real model for like feeling what you feel, you know, yeah. when you have the feeling and then I don't always let myself feel the feeling. Yeah. And I think Hagrid really does. And so I want to bless him for that. Yeah. Like he's able to voice the sadness and the pain and the longing throughout his whole life. And I'm so glad that he gets to look after Harry, not just now, but later. And then even, you know, in, in this, what, what we think is Harry's final moments, right? He's still, he's still there. So yeah, a blessing for Hagrid for that faithfulness and, and just love. Yeah. That's beautiful. How about you? You are Hagrid-ish. Really? In many ways. Is it the voice? <laughs> Core. It's the it's fact like... that your feet are as big as small dolphins, baby dolphins. <laughs> um, I want to bless Minerva McGonagall. Mm. I want to bless her because in this moment, I really do love Dumbledore. And I think that I do see a lot of my flaws and Dumbledore's flaws. But in this moment, she's like reporting to a bad manager who's mm. not hearing her. And I want to bless her because there's just so many times in our lives where we know what's right and we are powerless to change it. And McGonagall still just does her best. She sits on that wall and she does everything that she can for Harry for the years that she can. And so I want to bless her for always trying her absolute best and for that frustration because I just picture her going back to Hogwarts that night and being so mad that she let it happen. Mm. But she's just a fighter and such a gift to us all. Hmm. And I also want to bless you. I've really been thinking about it. So like it's you and Peter and like that's it. I think and my mom for giving birth to me of like the people who've changed my life the most. Hmm. You came into my life and my life changed for the better. And you just bring this energy and this love and this innovation and this not weatherman confidence with his confidence and excitement. And it is so infectious that it took over my life and gave me this gift. It's a blessing for me, but <laughs> I want to bless you for being someone who comes in and changes lives and changes the world. You are in and of itself a gift to the world, but then you are a gift to so many of us as well. And then I want to offer a blessing to you all. I, I want to bless you for two things. One is for letting us into your lives. 
you all have just been so open-hearted to us and have literally offered us like your couches and have made us hats and cookies and food and have made space for us in your living rooms right now and in your plans to come to live events and in your ears. Mm -hmm. And you've just been open to letting this really weird idea into your lives. (laughs) And I also want to bless you for your generosity in teaching us you have allowed us to take big swings because we always try to do things with intention, but we know that if we mess up, that you will graciously correct us. It's such a rare gift that you have given us. So I just want to thank you for being just the best community, the way that you've raised $10,000 in mutual aid for one another, that you've raised money for Oasis, that you've gone to each other's weddings and become roommates. And you have just like completely blown us away in teaching us what a community is. So thank you. Yeah. I remember when we first realized that a thousand people had listened to the first episode. <laughs> I know. In June 1,400 of, are here. Yes, in June of 2016. And when that number shot through the roof in August of that year, and more and more of you have joined, I mean, some of you started listening at the beginning of the pandemic and have raced through all the episodes. It's, it's just been incredible how I feel like our community keeps growing and how welcoming everyone is. You listened while you drove to work, while you sat in the bath, while you were going on holiday with your family, talking with your kids about the show, while you were volunteering far away from home and missing the people who loved you. Maybe while you were looking after a dying parent or going through a diagnosis yourself. We've been let into your lives, as Vanessa said, in the most intimate moments and the moments when things felt hardest. And I'm so grateful that you trusted us to talk with you because I know that you talk back to us, that we got to be there with you. You've shared your stories with us. You've helped us understand the text better through your experiences. You've told so many beautiful stories about your lives that we've gotten to read in the inbox and listen to with your voicemails. Stories of loss and of hope, of trial and survival, and of new beginnings and healing, and always stories of love. And then those very special times when we got to be together, you showed up at live shows in ways that I have never been hugged so many times in one hour and I never wanted it to end. You showed up in so many ways. You showed up at the summer camp that we did last summer when we really needed you to show up. You showed up at pilgrimages and meetups and at local groups. You sang sad sailor songs with me, which makes (laughs) me so happy. You showed up in our fundraisers, like Vanessa was saying, for immigration justice and Black Lives Matter. You supported the trans community and non-binary people in this last few years, which was so hard for us as a Harry Potter loving community. And I have been so proud of the way in which we had difficult conversations, the way we listened to people who are directly affected by the hate and the transphobia from JK Rowling. And I like, I was worried. I was really worried. Like, do I want to walk around with a t-shirt saying Harry Potter is a sacred text? And honestly, because of you, I feel like I can do that. And I'm so grateful for that. You showed up at those local groups, more than a hundred of them exist and many other informal conversations each one with a better name than the last. And I love reading out each of those every time on the show. You took inspiration from the sacred reading practices and created new ways to engage text in the classroom and in libraries and in your family. You took courage and worked hard at being a parent, at looking after your friends, at resolving conflict with siblings or other loved ones. And you took care of each other and of your neighbors. You served in your local community. So I want to thank you for trusting me with these texts. I am imperfect and I've read them imperfectly, 
And I hope I've done our community justice and you've helped me to learn when I haven't. Thank you for helping me discover my gifts, like Vanessa and Ariana were saying. You have been so kind to me, offering words of encouragement and praise and advice. Thank you for giving me hope. These last few years have been super hard and it's been such a joy for me to be able to turn to you and listen to you and learn from you. And that we can find ways of being together, even in this very, very different world that we're in, to feel each other close and present, even if it's from physically far away. So as we say goodbye, know that these five years together have been truly magical, that I'm so proud to have been a leader of this community, and that I hope you'll join Vanessa and I in our new adventure with Ariana at The Real Question, because we're having a lot of fun. And that you will welcome Matt as you did tonight, who is a wise and super smart and loving reader and a teacher I always turn to when I'm stuck with something and who will be the perfect co-host in this next chapter of the show. And more than anything, just know that I am so full of love and gratitude for each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. And thank you to Sixth and I for having us. This was Casper's last episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We're edited this week by Juliana Broadley. And our music is by Nick Bull and Jeff Etman. We are distributed by Acast. And a huge thanks to Matt Potts for being here this evening and for being our new co-host of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Back with you in two weeks' time as ever. Thanks to Molly Baxter, to Julia Argy, to Nikki Zoltan. Mom. Mom. And Megan Kelly, who's been here on social this evening, Stephanie Purcell, and all of you. I'm Casper Tekhile. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And you've been watching Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, the live show. Yeah. Do we do And this will be another moment of forgiveness because for some reason, my thank you note is not on my script, but is on my bed. So I'm going to go get that. Or Ariana is going to go get it. Like I came to the end of my thing. I was like, oh no. It's like the night of a thousand mishaps. And yet we are sailing through it together. (laughs) This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.